The second reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So we're continuing to work through 1 Corinthians. That's on page 1055. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defence to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned with oxen? Or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, it is written for us, because he who ploughs ought to plough in hope, and he who threshes should do so in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is too much if we reap material benefits for you, from you. If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? However, if we have not made use of this right, instead we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the gospel temples, sorry, don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach should who preach the gospel should earn their earning by the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. But I have used none of these rights, and I have not written this to make it happen for me that way. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of, to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because an obligation is placed on me. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer free of charge and not make full use of my own authority in the gospel. Although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, not being, out, not being without God's law, but within Christ's law, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak. In order to win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that I may be every possible means, by every possible means, save some. Now, I do all this because of the gospel, so I may become a partner in its benefits. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who can who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do not receive a crown that will fade away. 
but we are crowned that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating in the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, I'm LT. I'm one of the pastors here at Church by the Bridge, and I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Uh, We need your help right now as we come to your Word. And we thank you that you provided that help in your Holy Spirit who's here present with us. We ask him to work, Father, to open our hearts and minds to hear your word and to respond to your voice that others might be drawn to Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Uh, In the late 60s, Uh, the band The Rolling Stones sung a song that said, I'm free to do what I want any old time. Uh, Most of you cannot picture him, that is Mick Mick Jagger, singing that and then can't sing the next line, but be assured that's what he sang. Um, There's lots of covers afterwards, so you might know those versions. I'm free to do what I want any old time. As I thought about my life this week, I reckon that could be the catch cry of my life. It didn't take me long to trawl through my life and find examples where I've lived up to that catch cry. I'm free to do what I want any old time. I got to, when I got my first job, which was when I was about 10 or 11, and it was the sort of typical uh, young boy job of delivering the local rag, the local newspaper just around the neighbourhood that I got a few dollars for. And the primary and only reason I got that job was to save some money for myself to buy my first bike. It was a BMX bike and I can still picture it and I had a lot of fun. There was no sense in which I wanted to earn money for anyone else's sake. You know, no sense that I was going to say to my parents, okay, look, I've been living with you for a while, how about I start shipping in for the groceries? Not, not a chance. Uh, then if you sort of race forward a few years uh, to when I first got my driver's licence... Yeah, that's a key time of life, isn't it? When you sort of first start to strike out with some independence and really are able to live some freedom. And again, there was no sense when I got my license that I was going to use that freedom to drive my mum or dad somewhere. There's no sense in which I was going to ask them, look, do you need anything from the shop? I'll go and get the bread and milk. I mean, that came because they asked me to do it. The only sort of restraint I had uh, when I was driving was because my mum had a big blue Holden Kingswood Premier with an electric window. That's what's a Premier, not a Kingswood. Um, But while I was restrained, because it had a a very big motor, it was a V8 five-litre thing, and I was so petrified that I didn't drive too fast. But there was no sense in which I was going to use that freedom for someone else. It was for self, and that was it. And the reality is that's all of us, isn't it? The Bible says that all of us, in our freedom, live it out with our inclination to use it for ourselves. We're free 
for ourselves. Even if you've become a Christian, you, you have freedom. We're told freedom in Christ. Last week, we had to be told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 that we are to use that freedom with the knowledge that comes with that, not to be inflated because we know better than others, but actually to use that freedom and the knowledge that comes with that in love for the sake of building others up. Knowledge is a dangerous thing, we heard, because we can use it for ourselves and not for others. And so we were warned last week. But this week we're coming to 1 Corinthians 9, and Paul again is talking about freedom and rights, as he is in this section from 8 to 10. And this week he talks about the reality of the freedom we have, the freedom we have not just from, from our slavery to sin, from judgment, but for, for others not believers this time who already have faith but people who don't yet know Jesus so what we're going to see in the example of Paul for us is that we have the freedom to give up rights so we can see people saved to Jesus so let's go and have a look at 1 Corinthians 9 if you grab your Bibles and let's turn to chapter 9 verse 1 and what we see to start with is that Paul had a right as an apostle to be paid. Paul had a right, and it was a right as an apostle to be paid. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you, are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. If you're, if you're thinking that Paul's defensive here, he actually is. He's defending the fact that he's an apostle. In a moment, we'll see the right that comes with that apostleship. But here, yes, he's saying, am I free? Am I an apostle? And the expected answers are yes, yes, yes. An apostle simply being someone who was a witness to and a witness for. So he was, Paul, that is, a witness to Jesus, and he's a witness for Jesus to testify about who he was so that others might come to know him. And he was directly sent by Jesus, which also makes him uniquely an apostle. And so, of course, Paul is an apostle, having witnessed Jesus, being a witness of and to and being sent by Jesus. And, of course, he says he the fact that these people have come to know Jesus and are following him is also credibility of his apostleship. That's why he says, you are the seal of my apostleship, kind of the guarantee, the, the proofs in the preaching, if you like, not the proofs in the pudding, but the proofs in the preaching. It's effective, the gospel I preach, because it's the true gospel, because I'm a genuine apostle. So Paul, as an apostle then goes on to say the right he has as, as an apostle. So verse 4 he says, Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a Christian wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? So here Paul, actually using the word right, says, don't we have a right? And I think, again, the expected answer is yes, you do have. 
you do have a right, like the other apostles, to actually not have to work and to be paid so you're freed up to be a gospel preacher. And so Paul then kind of gives a triple barrel load, maybe quadruple barrel load of shotgun reasons of why he has the right to be paid. Lots of analogies. So human observation, he says, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? And again, the answer is no one. It's a bit like when I was a student through Bible college. Uh, To help fund myself through college, I worked at a, a local cafe, the Croydon Cafe. And the boss generously allowed me to eat and drink at the cafe while I was working. It was fantastic. All the food you could have, all the drink you could have. It was sort of like the benefit of being a cafe worker was that you got to eat, enjoy the labours of your hands. And that's simply the point Paul's making. I mean, who's a soldier and doesn't get rations to be a soldier? You might remember a few years ago there was an advertising campaign, marketing campaign for the Defence Forces, and the big marketing hook was you get to travel the world. I mean, the subtext is you might be lamed, kind of maimed, injured or killed, but you'll still get to travel the world and you might actually die in another place of the part of the world. Fantastic. But you get paid. You get freed up because we need soldiers and so we need to support them so they're freed up to do that. He plants a vineyard and doesn't get to eat some of the grapes and maybe the wine that comes with it. You know, that, that's what happens as you observe things in our culture and society. But he goes on, doesn't he? Verse 8, am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned with oxen? Or isn't he really saying it for us? Yes, this is written for us, because he who ploughs ought to plough in hope, and he who threshes should do so in hope of sharing the crop. So oxen trot out the grain, and as they did that, they could eat some of it to sustain them in that job, in that role. God cares for the oxen in that way. How cruel would it be to muzzle the ox so your little bit of grain is reduced? Paul says, the law says you don't do that. And so you shouldn't do that for an apostle, a gospel preacher. There's a right there to be paid, to be freed up to have to work so they can preach. Verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? And then verse 13. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. It's as though points, Paul's getting to the point where he could be Jerry Maguire, sorry, if you remember that movie, you probably don't, where he says, show me the money. I'm an apostle. 
You're the seal of my apostleship. And like the other apostles, I should be able to be paid for being a gospel preacher. Show me the money. Let me just pause for a moment because like we're talking about the oxen in the room, we should talk about the elephant in the room because it's obvious that here am I, a gospel worker, talking about the fact that you who are receiving spiritual benefits should give me material benefits, yeah, material benefits for preaching the gospel. And if you pick that up, that's exactly what the passage is saying. It's not an implication, it's a direct application. And so um, the great thing is, Dan, myself, other gospel workers at church have the privilege of experiencing and receiving your generosity. We are freed up. We are given material sustenance, if you like, so we can be freed up to preach the gospel. So quite clearly, a lot of you get this and you get it generously. So thank you. We don't determine how much we get. Thankfully, it's not just rations. There's a group of people that are set aside and appointed clearly that have the responsibility to determine how much and how we get paid. And it's not for services rendered. It's simply like an allowance so we're freed up so we can preach the gospel. So you built up and equipped and sent out. So we want to be thankful to God for that. And thank you for getting what the, the Bible says. You're receiving spiritual benefits. And so you're sharing the material benefits with us. But Paul's saying, I'm not claiming that right. When it comes to preaching the gospel, so those who don't yet know the gospel, hear the gospel. That's what he goes on to say. Paul gave up the right. Look at verse 12b. However, we have not made use of this right. Verse 15. But I have used none of these rights. I've got the right, I've got the right, I've got the right, he says over and over again for this reason, this reason, and this reason, but I'm not using that right. I'm not claiming that right. And we'll go on to see why in a moment. But when it comes to us and our freedom, when we think of our freedom, we think of using that freedom for ourselves, for our own rights. Apparently, the song that's played the most at funerals is that song by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. I did it my way because we want to end life, get to the end of it and think, yes, I've lived life my way in the way I wanted to do it with who I wanted to do it in the way that I wanted to do it. And we celebrate that. But in actual fact, Paul says, no, I, I give up that right. As us, as first world Western people, we want to claim our rights. That's what life's about, isn't it? In our very consumeristic, materialistic, individualistic, self-focused kind of culture, it is about our right for, for lots of things. A right to love, a right to career, a right to health and wealth and prosperity and no suffering at all. That's, that's kind of our inbuilt right, isn't it? But if we want to live that way, it's like we're putting ourselves back into slavery, isn't it? Because that's like a cage in itself or a prison in itself that is not self-satisfying. It'll end up being very boring, a tyranny. It would be like drinking from the cesspool of self that will only lead to destruction. And Paul says, no, there's something bigger and better than using your freedom from and for than just yourself. 
And so that's what we come to now. What does he give his right up for? He's free from, but what is he using his freedom for? What does he give up that right for? See what he says in verse 12. We have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. The Christian vision of freedom is the gospel and necessarily the gospel being preached and going out to those who don't yet Jesus know Jesus. And so his first concern in the negative sense is that he doesn't, he doesn't want anything in his life to be a hindrance, an obstacle to that gospel going out and being preached and people receiving it. And so that's why he withholds his right. He, he doesn't want to demand the right to be paid in preaching the gospel to people who don't net, know Jesus in case they think there's, it comes with strings attached, that somehow it gives the idea or message that you have to pay and earn your way to God. He wants to cut that string. He wants them to know there is such a thing as a free lunch, that salvation is free. He doesn't want to give any hint that Jesus' death isn't sufficient because that would hinder the gospel and people hearing it, understanding it properly. So he withholds his right. There's a bigger and better vision that he's using his freedom for, and that is the gospel. So yes, in the negative sense, not to be a hindrance, but he goes on to say also so that people might be one to Christ, that they might be saved. And you saw that in verses 19 to 22. Over and over again, he says, verse 19, in order to win more people. Verse 20, like a Jew, to win Jews, to win those under the law. Verse 22, to win those without the law. And, sorry, 21, and then 22, to, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. He wants to win people. And what's the winning? What's he talking about in terms of winning people? 22, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. So the winning is actually people being saved to Jesus. Hearing the good news of Jesus that he gave, he gave his death so that might be free from sin and saved from that judgment. That, that's the bigger and better vision. He wants to so live his life alongside people, becoming to them whatever that he needs to become so that they might hear the gospel of Jesus from him you notice the emphasis on him as well, that he might win, that I might win, that I might win, that I might save some. Now, hopefully you're a little bit uncomfortable with that because we're used to really underscoring, highlighting, emphasising that it's God who saves. And of course that's right, isn't it? God is the one who ultimately saves, but what Paul's illustrating here is that we, he particularly as an apostle, is used... In the salvation process, a necessary step is a gospel speaker so people can be gospel hearers. And so he's so concerned how he lives his life 
Because we, he is an essential step in people coming to know Jesus and being saved. And so for us, what is it? Become all things to all men. Isn't it simply pursuing relationship with people so that you're connected with them so that they might be connected with Jesus? How do you become all things to all people? How do you you become what you need to become to the people that you've thought about before that you'd love to see come to know Jesus? Only you'll know that. Only you'll know that as you give yourself in relationship to them and work out what do I need to become, what do I need to change, what do I need to remove so it's not a hindrance to them hearing the gospel. What are their fears, hopes, dreams, passions, drives, satisfactions? What what are those things that in some way I might understand so that I might actually help bring the gospel to bear in their life, their hopes, fears, dreams, passions? You're the one who'll work that out as you pursue relationships. And I suspect in the first instance, it'll be a lot more listening than it will be talking. And the great thing about asking questions, which you need to do to listen, is in our culture, the polite thing to do is someone asks you lots of questions is then you're meant to ask questions back. And so hopefully that will happen. No doubt, Justin will tell you that's happened with him. But it takes focus, doesn't it? And many of you, as you're hearing this, hopefully you're being encouraged. You're thinking, yes, I'm giving this a go. I'm living out what Paul's saying. I am trying to come alongside people to pursue them, to connect with in order that they might be connected with Jesus. And I've been doing it for weeks, months, maybe even years, prayerfully, enduring. And if that's you, be encouraged. And if you're finding that hard and you're finding opposition, you're experiencing the benefits that Paul, I think, is talking about in verse 23. Now, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may become a partner in its benefits. It's the benefits of salvation, but the benefits of sharing and sharing the gospel with others and what comes with that, the opposition that Paul experienced as Jesus did, the need to endure as Paul did and Jesus did, the need to persevere, the need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit giving you courage and boldness as the apostles did over and over again. There's some of the benefits, I think, in that subjective sense that Paul's talking about. For for many of you, unlike me, in the natural course of life, you'll be interacting with people who don't yet know Jesus. One-off or settled workmates, fellow students, neighbours, a lot more than often I do as I hang out with you. I have to make it sort of an extra effort, put on the lycra, get up in the morning, ride the bike to engage with some people who don't yet know Jesus. And so you won't have to, you know, try that hard. And we'll, we'll come to, in a, in a minute, the mindset shift that you might need to have. But I think verses 24 to 27 are talking about the focus that we need and the incentive we need as he uses the analogy of a race. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. 
However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we're crown that will never fade away. Therefore, do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It takes an intent. It, It takes being deliberate. It takes a focus. It takes training, strict control. It takes, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. But there's a prize, isn't there, he's saying? A crown. And you don't want to be disqualified. What, what is driving Paul? I mean, you really get hit by the fact this is a passionate guy. He's got great zeal and passion. He finished last week's chapter in verse 13 by saying, I will never again eating meat. A very categoric commitment he makes. Here he's talking about, I'd rather die than for anyone to deprive me of the boast. I'd rather die, he says. That's focus, isn't it? Where's that passion and zeal come from? Surely it's the fact that he's met Jesus. And at his conversion, he met Jesus. His life was literally turned around. But at the same time, he was commissioned. God took a hold of him that he might preach the gospel. And verses 15 to 18, it's it's as though there's a sense in which he's kind of willingly, unwillingly preaching the gospel. Yes, he's doing it voluntarily, but it's as though Jesus has so gripped his heart that he's compelled restrained, obligated, so he's pointing in one direction and that's it. He's got a single focus. And so his whole life is orientated around seeing people come to Jesus, seeing them one to him, seeing them saved. Uh, Went out to dinner on Friday night, some neighbours invited us over for dinner, Uh, my family and another family. And uh, my mate George was doing... a lot of the cooking. And it's great because he's Greek, and so he cooked a great, fantastic Greek barbecue. And I was a bit disappointed because I have a Greek brother-in-law. He's never cooked me a Greek barbecue. So I sent him a photo and said, you know, what's going on? It's just the burnt sausages at his place. Uh, but at one point of the night, George ducked inside to the kitchen. There was this thing sitting on the bench, you know, kind of this white thing with a, a silver thing sitting inside it. And he started throwing ingredients in it. And, of course, then he started talking about this machine. I think it's called a, a thermomix or something. You might have heard of them. And, and what did he start doing? He started to evangelise me and my, the other guests at the house with the good news of the thermomix. It's like, it's changed my life. I've done this today with the kids and this and this. I do it two or three times. It makes great sorbet. It makes great spaghetti maize. I'm like, okay, prove it. Uh, that's what I wanted to say. But you just got passionate about the good news. It's interesting because the other dad was there, was talking about uh, a boy in his son's class uh, who he heard about the Thermomix through because his mum was a Thermomix party lady. Like it's, it's gone down the generations. So the son's now evangelising about the Thermomix as well. I mean, that's what you do, isn't it? Something comes into your life, whatever it is, that somehow improves your life, transforms your life, changes your life for the better, you become an evangelist about it. 
It takes hold of you and it just can't help but come out. And so it is with Paul. Coming to know Jesus, just taken hold of him. So it, it just comes out. His life, his mind, his attitude is focused on seeing others come to know and experience what he has. Freedom. Freedom from that slavery to sin. Freedom from, from judgment. A new and right relationship with the God of the universe. And so he's compelled to share that news. Chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. You know, obviously not in the sense of giving your life in death for the sins of the world. But in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that Jesus, for the joy laid down before him, endured the cross. For the joy before him, the joy of seeing a people gathered to himself for him, he endured. And so his preaching declared the salvation. His death achieved that salvation and his life showed and embodied that salvation. What else could it do? He said, I came to seek and save the lost. If that's true, which it is, he not only gave his life for it, he gave himself to it. He always found himself with those who were lost. In fact, he had the reputation of hanging out with sinners. And that was a put down. He wasn't meant to do that. But that was his life's cause. And so that's how he lived life. And so Paul's following that. Following that example. Giving his life to people. Doing everything he can so he's got a gospel mindset. Not putting anything in the way of people hearing the gospel, giving his life to, in relationship to people so they are one to Christ. Now, I reckon there's two subjects in, in church that you can preach on that you preach either of them and most people feel kind of guilty or bad because they're not living up to how they think they should in those areas. That one is prayer because we all know we don't pray as much as we probably should. I think the other one is evangelism and that's what we're talking about essentially this afternoon. Sharing the good news, sharing your life so that others get to know the good news. And, and I suspect most of us struggle with that. And I suspect most of us also think that it means that we've got to add something to our life. There's a gospel addition that's needed. And because we're all apparently time poor, that's nearly impossible. We're not time poor, by the way. We've got the same minutes in in whatever it is, an hour, same seconds in a minute, as we have every generation up to this generation. Sure, for some reasons, life might be a little bit busier for us, but at the end of the day, we determine what gets into our diary. And Paul's saying we've got the right to give up things so we have a gospel intent. And so I don't think it's about gospel addition as well at, at all. I think it's about gospel intention having intention about your relationship that we've already heard about tonight, so that you're prayerfully engaging and pursuing people with a gospel intent. Thinking through what it is that you might be doing to hinder the gospel in the life of someone else. Thinking through how you can pursue people to connect with them so they might come to know Jesus. Thinking as you're making life decisions about each moment, each day, each week, as you shape your life, how will this impact the salvation of an unbeliever who's actually in my life? 
who without Jesus is spending an eternity in hell. Paul gave up his right so that he might, for the glory of Jesus, see people saved. He did that because imitating Jesus, that was the engine room, the example, the motivation for doing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that somehow someone had a gospel intent so we came to know Jesus. We thank you for that person. Father, help us to have that gospel intent that as Paul imitated Jesus, that we would imitate him. Help us to know what it means to shape our lives in a way so that we're not a hindrance to the gospel. So we shape our lives in a way that we pursue people to connect with them, that they might be connected with Jesus. Amen.